Hey everyone, Pastor Blake Harkup here from Bedrock, Sarasota. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. How's everyone doing? Hey, as we get started today, I don't know if my wife is in here. Is Kelsey in here? Yeah, she's in the back. She's a backseat Baptist. Um, Kelsey's here. I just want to say publicly, it's our 12th wedding anniversary. I love you more than, yeah. So, so don't bother me today. I'm busy, all right? But, um, as we get ready to jump into today's service, I just want to, like, from my heart to yours, I know we do video announcements all the time and stuff like that, but I just want to make a couple things that are really important uh, for us, and I just want to make a couple of announcements. So first thing is, we have kids camp coming up, and it's July 11th to the 15th. That's why we have, like, we're, there, people aren't tailgating before service. The, the reason it's set up like a beach out there is because this year's theme is Mystery Island. And so we would love for you to be part of that. We're hoping to have about 125 to 150 kids in this place during that week where we can pour into the next generation, right? We, we can disciple these kids, that they can know God, that they can experience a church who loves them and loves God. Uh, and so we need your help, right? That's a lot of kids and a lot going on. You can play games. You can do snacks. You can teach a classroom, whatever it is. I'm going to be a floater. I, I told uh, Tara Pfizer, she's heading up this event for us. If you haven't met her, she's incredible. I texted her. I said, hey, whatever you need, I'm in, anything. Except for changing diapers, I'm not into that. But like whatever else, I'll do that. Um, and also the other thing I wanted to announce to you that I'm really excited about is this summer we're starting something called the Big Group Small Group. And in this room on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m., we are going to have a Big Group Small Group. And in that group, I'm going to teach, some of you don't know this, I teach for two universities. I teach for South Southeastern University and Liberty University. And I'm going to teach the class that I teach in Intro to Theology, right? And we're going to talk about this idea of who God is really helps us know who we are. And so you're going to come in here. I mean, if you want textbooks, I'll give them to you. But literally, the class that I teach for college credit at two universities, I'm going to teach in this room. And so we want you to be a part of that. I believe it's going to be a time where your faith will grow. And, and But theology is not just meant to teach you about who God is. Because when who you know who God is, we know how, who we should be. And that really affects the way that we live. So this isn't just to grow your head, it's really to grow your heart. And so I'd love to invite you to be a part of that with me. So it's not this week coming up, it's the following Wednesday. We're going to go through that this summer, and um, we'll, we'll see what God does. I think it's going to be an incredible time. But uh, this morning, as we continue on in our series on the book of Romans, which is this cornerstone book of the New Testament, I wanted to start with a story. So the date that is so important, it's July 16th, the year 1054. This year and this day is a day that's actually affected every single person in this room. This day is a day where there was such turmoil and divide in our world that, that it reshaped 
really the way that we move forward. There is these two guys in the world. They were important leaders. Um, the one is not guy's name is Michael Serralius, and the other guy's name is Leo III. Leo III is the Pope of the Catholic Church, and Corellius is what's called the Bishop of Constantine. And for 500 years, the Western Church and the Eastern Church has been having a problem. There's been 500 years of fighting going on. If you guys know what the word Catholic means, Catholic just means this word universal, singular, right? So sometimes when we say Catholic, we mean Roman Catholic or the Catholic faith, but the word Catholic can also mean universal or one church. And so what happens is, is these guys start fighting and this date is the day that everything boils over. Everything goes crazy. And here's why. They kind of disagreed on these five different things, and, and because of their disagreement and the way that they thought, it, it boiled over. So the things that they really didn't like is this. First of all, the Pope, Leo III, said, look, I'm really the true leader of the church. I know you guys are the Eastern Church, but the deal is, is I'm the leader. I'm preeminent. So what I say goes. The, the Bishop of Constantine didn't like this at all. It rubbed him the wrong way. And then the Western Church, which is the Roman Church, comes in and says, look, Look, we, we want to just let you know something. There's this, there's this founding document that we all follow called the Nicene Creed. We're going to change a couple words in that. We're not going to let you know that we're going to do that, but we're going to just change a couple words in how you and I understand the Trinity. And that gets them so mad. And then not only that, the Western Church, they're still doing this today. The Roman Church says, look, all the priests in the church need to be celibate. The Eastern Church is like, we need to be what? Celibate? No, no, no. I, I ain't about that life, okay? And so they're like, you're, you're going to make us be celibate? I'm not about that. And then finally, you want to know what the, the big thing was? The big thing that they disagreed about is what kind of bread to use in communion. One church said, hey, we should use unleavened bread. The other church said, we should, it doesn't matter. And they begin to fight. They begin to judge one another. They begin to assume motivations and they begin to take these things that are peripheral and make them elevated to essential. And because of that, the judgment enters into the situation. And what you have to understand is the Western church and the Eastern church, they think really differently. Like the Western church, the Roman church, they're all guarded in, in the way that they thought. The lens that they thought through was through Roman law, this law and order, this system which influences you and I today. And then the Eastern Church is really influenced by Greek philosophy. And how many of us know philosophy and law are two very different things? Like the process through getting through information and how you do that is very different. And so not only do you have a different background between these two groups of people, now they're emphasizing things that aren't really in the Bible. Right? Like if Jesus wanted you to use unleavened bread in communion, he would have said, hey, make sure you only use unleavened bread. Right? Like, that, that would have been in the text. Maybe in the Lord's Supper, it would have said, and Jesus broke unleavened bread. But it doesn't. And so what happens in the year uh, 1054 on July 16th is Pope Leo III excommunicates the entire Eastern Church from the Roman Catholic religion. Says, hey, you guys are out. These things, we're making them essential. You guys don't agree. You're out. And this is where today we have Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, like the, these churches are the ones that split. And then you have Roman Catholicism. And then in 1517, you have another split called the Protestant Reformation. Church splits have been happening for a really long time over some really stupid things. 
And even today, you guys know that in 1965 was the very first time that the Roman Catholic Church said, hey, you guys aren't excommunicated anymore. 1965. So in retaliation, the Bishop of Constantine goes, you know what? You excommunicate me, I excommunicate you. And this is the beginning of a division, and I think this is really where the church began to lose the mission of reaching the world. Because the church of God divided over what type of bread to use in communion. And I don't know about you, but like we have been struggling with this within our Christian community since the year 1054, and really 500 years before that. We've struggled with this idea of creating things that aren't in the Bible, that aren't elevated in the Bible, and elevating them to those positions so that we can judge other people, so that we can feel holier and more righteous in our life. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like you didn't want to go to church anymore because of how judgmental people were in the church? I mean, I don't need an amen. Last night I got a big amen. They're like, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. I say, Jesus is Lord. Everyone's quiet. I say, you want to leave the church because Christians are judgmental. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, okay, all right. We got some hurt people here. All right. I mean, but like, here's the reality. It, you're not saying that you're done with God. You're just done with this church. You're like, I, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with this group of people. When I walk in, if I wear the wrong type of clothes, I feel like I don't belong. When I walk in, if I don't like say these certain Christian words right or, or carry the right kind of Bible or the fact that I have a physical Bible. Oh, look at them. They use the Bible on their iPhone. Hmm. I can't even tell if you read it because I can't, I can't tell from the swipes on your screen. How can I tell how holy you are? And some of you are like, I don't know, but I'm going to start clipping this thing so I look like I'm doing all right. And so what happens here is it's like, I think so many times people in this world have said no to Jesus because they said no to the church first. Because we just get judgmental. We begin to say these things and do these things and because we need to elevate ourselves or we need to move ourselves. And so today, Paul and I, we're going to talk a lot about what it looks like to deal with judgmental people. How not to be judgmental and how judgmentalism in the church can be detrimental to the mission of God. And so Paul is going to start off Romans chapter 14 with this idea. If you were with us last week, we talked about this idea about loving God and loving people. That Christianity, we just need to, to get things a little bit more simple. right? We need, we need to, to love God, love people. And if we're going to do that, we need to kiss people. And kiss stands for keep it stupid simple. Just keep it simple. And we talked about this idea that in order to love people in the world, we have to love God first. And when we love God and we put on Christ, then we're able to love and serve our fellow man. And so Paul's going to say this. Look, part of loving your neighbor is not being judgmental towards your neighbor. And so here's what I want to say. There are foundations to our faith. There are things that are non-negotiables in Christianity. If you take these things away, you don't have Christianity anymore. It's a different religion. And so if the Bible is explicitly clear on certain things, then you have to deal with those things. And, and there's not a lot of wiggle room on those things. But there's a lot that we say is explicitly clear that isn't. Like, I mean, I, I'll, just, like, I'll just go to people and they'll say, like, oh, the Bible 100% says this. And I say, okay, cool, show me. I've studied this for a while. I haven't seen that yet. Where, what book is it found in? Second Opinions 121? Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm not familiar with Second Opinions 121. Can you tell me about it? 
Okay, cool. And so here's the deal. A lot of us are building churches around Second Opinions 121. And so today, Paul's going to deal with this. Paul's going to begin to talk about this, and he's going to say, look, I'm going to give you some medicine to kill judgmentalism. Because when we get to judgmentalism, we're actually elevating ourselves to God. We're actually elevating ourselves, and we're jumping on the throne, and we're saying, hey, I know that you said what you said, but here's the deal. I know better. And so I don't know about you if you're in this room. Have you ever struggled with judgmental people in your life? I mean, Instagram, Facebook, it's just a, it's a breeding ground for judgmentalism. That's what it is. It's like, hey, you want a, a, a place to hunt? Go to Instagram. You can judge everybody, right? You can, you can elevate yourself or tear people down or feel bad about yourself. If you already feel bad about yourself, you can feel worse when you go on there. Like, it's a great place. It's super healthy. We should all invest in this a lot more. Oh, gosh, that's another sermon, Lord. I'm not going there. All right, so here's the deal. If you have a Bible with you, would you open up with me to Romans chapter 14? If you don't have one, don't worry. The word's going to be on the screen. Apparently, these other ones aren't working well today. But let's jump into the word of God. Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 1, it says this. As for the one who is weak in the faith, you're like, I don't like that word. But don't worry, we'll explain it. Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. You know that like first opinion, second opinions books? He said, don't, it's not whether, welcome them in, but let's not start an argument. One person believes that he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. This isn't a cut on vegetarianism, right? We know that you can get strong from eating vegetables, right? From the book of Daniel. Like understanding, like the Daniel fast, they were stronger than everybody else. So that's not a cut. Some vegetarians were like, I'm out of here. I'm off of this church. No, just relax. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to explain it. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Here's the deal. Here's what Paul's saying in the beginning of this chapter. He's saying God desires unity. So you have to understand what's going on in Rome at this time. Rome is a high, big metropolitan area. Think about New York. Think about uh, you know, I don't know, like Dallas, think about L.A. Like there is a, a, a coming together of different cultures and different backgrounds and different societies and different ideas. And that's exactly what Paul is addressing here because obviously the believers in Rome had a problem with judging each other. That Paul has never even been to Rome and yet through the guidance of the Holy Spirit is inspired to write, hey, stop judging one another. It's just part of our condition of what goes on. And it's part of our, our way of dividing and seeing where we sit with people. And I think it's really a tool of the enemy to keep us from moving towards the mission of God. And so in Rome, you have these two major groups in the church. You have Jewish people who had converted to Christianity and Gentiles. And how many of us know, like, those are way different backgrounds. Like, the Jewish people had commands and laws and things you can't eat and things you can eat. And, you know, the, the, the 630-something laws that they had to follow. And they have the law of Moses and all of these things. And then you have a pagan culture who had their own background and their own religions and these things. And specifically what Paul's talking about here is there's the fact that there's these Gentile people who in their pagan religion would sacrifice, sacrifice meat to idols. And so what they're doing and what they're saying in this moment is like, you're not weaker because you won't eat meat. What they're doing it because their conscience says they don't want to go back to paganism. 
They don't want to go back to this old religion, and so they're abstaining on purpose. And what Paul says is, like, even though they haven't gotten there yet, you don't need to judge them. In fact, Paul addresses the stronger believer here first. He says, listen, big brother, welcome. That word welcome is a command. Like, you must welcome in people of God who may not be exactly where you are right now. It may never get to where you are. So welcome them in. Because here's the deal. We know from the Bible that God's one of his abiding main concerns for the church of Jesus Christ is unity. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13, that we would be united in the spirit in the bond of peace. That we would love one another in the bond of unity, Colossians 3.14. That Jesus, even in John chapter 13, says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as he has loved us. And John 17 verse 20 talks about this, that we will all be one, just as Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus teaches through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit or when he's here in the Gospels that we are meant to be one church in one family of God. He's uniting us and he's building a bridge over some of these things. And so that weaker believer that was referred to in the text is just someone who hasn't quite gotten there yet. Like that, 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 yes, you can eat anything. You can eat this meat. It doesn't mean anything. Idols aren't real. So it's not like you're ingesting idols when you eat this meat. But here's what Paul's going to say. He says, look, you older Christians, you that understand the freedom that you have in Jesus, be kind in the way that you're going to lord your freedom over them. This happens a lot with our kids. You know, like Piper, she'll be 10 next month. And then Jude's four. And, like, there's times when, like, Piper understands something so much better than Jude. And when Jude doesn't quite get it, she'll kind of laugh at him. Like, don't you get it? And I'm like, Pipe, he's four. You're, you're ten. Like, the first time I teach you how to drive our golf cart, I'm not going to, like, make fun of you because you don't know where the gas pedal is. Like, if Piper's like, where's the gas? I wouldn't be like, gas is on the right, silly. <laughs> don't you know that? Turn the key on. Put it in drive. What's wrong with you? She's 10. She's never done it before. I want you to think about that in the same way that we approach certain people in our churches. I'm just going to tell you, going from, I remember this. I have written in the front of one of my Bibles, because I got saved later in life, I put this in there. I never want to forget what it was like to be lost. And I don't know about you, but going from a worldview where Jesus is not Lord and all of these things, and then Jesus is Lord, there's some things that God's got to whittle away, and it takes some time. But we don't need to be the one who gets in the way of the work of God because of the way that we speak to others. And because we add these lists and we add these things that go on in our life. And, and I'll tell you where this really happened for me. A couple of years ago, uh, I worked for this guy named Elmer Towns. And you're like, that name sounds old. That's because he is old. He's about 88 years old. But here's the deal. Um, he was the co-founder of Liberty University. So he helped start Liberty. Liberty today currently has 120,000 students enrolled right now. He was part of helping to develop and launch this school that started in 1971. When you talk about big faith, when you talk about the faith that can like literally change mountains because the school's on this mountain called Liberty Mountain, He's the guy. He's the guy who helped start this thing. And I had the honor and privilege to work for him side by side for seven years. 
And so I got to be in places and meet people and do things I, I had no business doing. But there was this thing that went on with him that, and, and this is common sometimes in churches, where he had a very strong um, opinion on alcohol. And like me, being young in my faith, because I became a believer much later in life, what I began to do is I was like, as I started to learn the Bible, I learned enough to be dangerous and enough to be ignorant. I read in John that the very first miracle of Jesus was turning water into wine. And so I was like, man, how can you be so anti this? And that yet Jesus turns water into wine. And then people try to get around it. They're like, well, it's weaker alcohol. And I'm like, does the text say that? Like it's in there in the Greek? And they're like, nah. And I'm like, oh, so you're just making it up. Okay, cool. So... What happens is, is and, and, and look, I'm not like against wisdom. I'm not against any of these things, but like it's not a rule. Like don't ever not have alcohol. The rule is don't be drunk. Okay. And so I really, it caused for me a separation because I thought that he was just this old fuddy-duddy. I was like, it's not even like, this isn't even in here. And so instead of like seeking to understand why he may feel that way, I assumed who he was and I began to judge him. And it caused separation between he and I until I was in a meeting one day and this guy who wasn't me asked Dr. Towns, hey, like, can I just ask you, like, why this like really firm stance against alcohol? He said, alcohol's never touched my lips. And I thought he'd start going to the Bible. And he said, well, let me take you back to when I was six years old. And I was like, this is not where I thought this was going. And he says, when I was six years old, I used to have to grab a wagon and I used to have to walk from my house in the very poor part of um, Savannah, and I would have to walk down to the bar to pick up my dad, who was inebriated and couldn't walk out of the bar. And so as a six-year-old boy, I would have to have grown men carry my dad out and put him in a wagon, and I would have to drag my dad home through the whole town. And I would have to walk through town with my dad, pass out drunk behind me, praying to God that he wouldn't wake up because if he did, he'd beat me. And he said, so yeah, I, I've never touched a drop of alcohol in my life. And I was like, that's a pretty good reason. And you know what? I'm really sorry that I never asked that. I just thought you were a fuddy-duddy. I just thought you were this guy who, like, you just, like, are making stuff up. And what I became to realize is it was a personal conviction because of the experiences that he had. Just like the church in the West and the East came from different backgrounds and different understandings and different ways of dealing with things, but they never sought to understand each other's perspective. They just judged one another. I did the same thing. And I think about the years that I got to spend with one of the wisest guys I know. He's written like 158 books. And I didn't ask him certain questions in life because I thought he was a fuddy-duddy and I didn't respect his opinion sometimes. I was the fool because I didn't seek clarity or perspective or to get to know each other. And so what I did is I disregarded unity. And instead of finding common ground and finding understanding, I missed it completely. And so let me ask you, where are you judging the people in this room? Maybe me, maybe the older people in this room, young people. I hear all the time, I don't, I don't, I don't really connect with old people They've got a lot going on and they've lived some, through some things that you haven't and they're a wealth of knowledge and you better like wisen up and begin to ask questions and stop judging older people in this world because they came from a different experience than you did. 
I used to remember my granddad would like not throw a single thing away, and I didn't understand it. And the reason is, is because when he was five years old, he started selling newspapers on trolley cars in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, because he grew up during the Great Depression. So he didn't throw a single thing away, but I, did, I didn't understand. Like, I was like, why would you keep this? This is garbage. Some of the people who are hoarding everything in life, you need to understand that they used to not have anything in life, and so they're afraid of losing it. It's just this uh, moment where the enemy wants us to assume the motives of other people so that we, we can get away from certain things when the reality is, is if you sought understanding, you may grow into a greater acceptance and love of people. And so here's what Paul's going to say. We need to agree and find unity on the majors and diversity in the minors. So what are the majors of the Christian faith? Well, here's the deal. We believe in one God in three persons. We believe in monotheistic religion, but we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All are God, but each are unique and distinct. And you're like, ah, where's that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked that. If you go to the baptism of Jesus, all three members of the Trinity show up. Oh, if you go to the creation narrative in Genesis, the very first thing that God says is, let us make man in our image. He's not talking to angels. Right? So we have this unique understanding of who God is. We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe that it is Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection is the way, the truth, and the life to salvation. All people are equal in God's sight and all must respond to what Jesus has done for salvation. We have all sinned and need to receive Jesus through faith and salvation. And the call of the church is to love God and love people. I believe that these are the foundational elements to Christianity. But we've built laws and denominations and groups of people based upon the ways that we're different instead of uniting in the ways that we are the same. See, one of the greatest tragedies of the church in the world is we are more well known for what we are against than what we are for. And let me just tell you something. You're not going to have a positive impact on people in the world when you come from a negative worldview. It's going to be really hard to make an impact and to do certain things. And let me just say this. When we judge people by the things that God isn't, we are not leading them to Jesus. We're taking them to an idol. When we are judging people in this world, in this community, in this church, outside of this church, by the things that God is not, we are not leading them to Jesus anymore. We are leading them to an idol. And for so long, the worst thing in the church has been some of the people in the church. Judgmentalism, I'm just going to tell you, is a sign of immature, unconfident, and uninformed faith. Just going to tell you that. That's what judgmentalism, that, that's the root of it. Unconfident, uninformed, and immature and so what Paul's going to say is, hey, listen, you and I have to understand, like, we've got to come together and unify on some of these things. And here's why Paul says this. Who are you, verse 4, to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Here's what Paul's saying. You and I are all in this together because we're all upheld by the grace of God. God is sustaining all of us. And when you realize that, you can, you can stop judging people on these peripheral things. Here's what I want you to hear. It's okay to have opinions. It's not okay to, like, judge people's holiness or righteousness based on your opinion of something. 
That's where it gets sick. That's where it gets bad. Have your opinions. Have your theology. Have things where we talk about it and come together. And have your verses. And have your backup. And have your church fathers. And have your church history. And come together and try to figure it out. But the moment that you assume the holiness or righteousness of another person across the table from you based upon a peripheral opinion... You've gone from mature to immature, to confident to unconfident. You've missed it. And here's what Paul says. You and I have to understand that God is sustaining all of us. All of us. And so here's what happens. Paul goes on to continue in verse 5. He says this. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all the days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. That's what he just said. Hey, you guys have a difference of opinion. Be convinced of your opinion in your own mind. The one who observes the day observes it to honor the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the other one abstains, he abstains to honor the Lord and gives thanks to God. Here's what Paul's saying. No one likes a spiritual snob. Nobody likes a spiritual snob. Don't judge people by always these little peripheral things that they believe. Judge them also by what they do. Here's what Paul says. The one who abstains from eating and the one who eats, they do it because they love God. The one who takes one day as holy and the other one who says every day is alike, they're doing it because they love God. And he said these things aren't monumental. There's not going to be a test on like, hey, what day did you think was holy when you get to heaven? There's going to be one question when you and I get to heaven. When we are at the great white throne judgment, there's one question. Who is my son to you and what did you do with him? Who is my son to you and what did you do with him? That's the question. Maybe that's two. I'm putting in one. Some of you have stopped listening. You just judge me. But you're like, that pastor can't even count. The problem, this comes from a commentator, he says this, the problem in the church at Rome, as in many churches since that day, was that some believers of both persuasions thought themselves to be more spiritual and the others to be carnal because of the way that they believed. So what does spiritual snobbery look like? I'll tell you. What version of the Bible do you read? That's a question. What version do you read? Oh, you read the NLT? Mm-mm. Okay, interesting. Stay away from him. Don't have a theology question with him. Oh, how about this? Where's your Bible? Oh, it's on your device. Hmm. Did you know that when you turn the pages, holiness rubs off on you? It's like the wind of God. And the wind blows into your nostrils, and he you can't get that with a swipe. <laughs> High church or low church? Do we do I have a hat? And do we have a choir and, and or someone walking around here with incense? Or like me, kind of cash, right? Like, and some people look at me and go, you're a pastor? You're wearing a, a Henley today. Oh, oh, sorry. Well, uh, the collar's kind of similar. You got tattoos. Uh, yeah. Well, do you know, have you read Leviticus? Have you read Revelation? Because Jesus shows up with justice and truth and righteousness written on his thigh. And I don't think it's a Sharpie. So here's the deal. <laughs> what type of communion? What type of bread? Real wine? Communion wine? 
Grape juice? What you got? What about this? What type of baptism? Dunking? Sprinkling? A little bit of both? Super soaker? Who knows? <laughs> Beach baptism? You got baptized in a horse trough at bedrock? I would do that again. I don't know, but like baptism is important because it's an outward expression of an inward condition. I don't want to minimize baptism. But the thief on the cross didn't have to be baptized in order to see Jesus in heaven. He believed in Jesus and who Jesus was. And Jesus said, hey, I'll see you this day in paradise. I think Jesus would have said like, wham, get off the cross. Let's get a pool. If we, don't get you, if we don't get you submerged, son, I'm not going to see you in paradise this day. Let's go. And then he's like, let there be water. And there's a pool. And Jesus like, Shh. and then he's like, let's get back up there. I, gotta, I got some work to do. Okay. Not at all. What denomination? What denomination? I mean, we're trying to tell a different story here by even partnering with faith. What I don't know. We all love Jesus. We're all pursuing Jesus. We're all trying to reach people for Jesus. We're all trying to tell the world about what's going on. We're trying to love and serve the world. So, like, we may disagree on a few things, and we can have discussions about that, but we're on the same mission, so we're together. We're together. And here's the thing that I want all of us to really begin to realize. No one likes a spiritual snob because Jesus is Lord of all. Romans chapter 14, verses 7 to 12, listen to what the Bible says. For none of us lives for himself, and none of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. The word the Lord's is used three times in just verse 8. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Really different people. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to God. I want you guys to understand something. Acts 20 verse 28 says this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which is obtained with his own blood. I want you to understand something. All of us in this room, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, all of you online who are joining us this morning, you're bought with the same price. We're all bought with the blood of Christ. Same blood, same body, same Jesus. And let me just tell you something. Jesus died for all those believers in him who have different opinions than you. And if those opinions weren't worth dying for, he wouldn't have done it, but he did. We're all bought with the same price. We're all part of this same kingdom. And so the fact that you and I, he is Lord of all. And the fact that when we judge people on certain things, don't diminish the lordship of Jesus Christ in people's life. And don't say, well, you don't get it. You're not holy. You're not all of these things. He is the Lord of all. And we must not diminish the value that God has placed on people because all of them were bought with his blood. And so what happens in this moment is that even those people, even those people with those weird opinions, those peripheral opinions, Jesus died for them. And the fact that we have these dividing lines in our world because of some of these peripheral things, don't diminish the work in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus plus anything is heresy. Jesus plus nothing is everything. 
So what happens here is Paul is going to go into this last part of these verses, and we're going we're gonna to end here in just a minute. But here's the last part of today's message. Immaturity boasts freedom. Maturity exercises it well. Romans chapter 14, verses starting here in verse 13, it says this, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. So that means they've been doing it. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded. This is what Paul says. I know and I am persuaded that there is nothing unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. You're no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. He says, don't exercise your judgment at the expense of your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. You need to die to your freedom. See, the problem isn't that you have it. The problem is how you exercise it. And Paul says, when we love other people, we will bow our freedom down for their betterment. So immaturity says, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Maturity says, but I'm going to learn how to exercise it. You ever heard, like, anyone in middle school ever, like, you've been in an argument with someone and they say something stupid and you're like, that's so stupid. And they're like, it's a free country. You're like, yes, it is a free country, and you can say whatever you want. That is true, but that was stupid, okay? Like, that was not good. I always say in my class, you know, your teachers have told you your whole life there's no such thing as a dumb question. I was like, there is such thing as dumb questions. I mean, the immaturity of that. Well, I can say whatever I want. It's a free country. That means you have zero understanding of how what you say affects other people. Zero understanding. I think we've lost the art of that in our current culture. Would you agree? So he says this, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. It's not a matter of preference, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding, unity. Verse 20, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Do not for the sake of mode of baptism, color of the carpet, type of music, destroy how God is reaching this world. Don't let these little stumbling blocks get in the way. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. He says, that's fine. You're good with eating this meat. You're good with drinking that wine. That's great. You have no conviction of that. Great. Do that in the privacy of your own home. Do not destroy your brother and sister in Christ if they have a problem with it. Do you know why? Because you have no ability to speak into someone's life that you're judging because you think they're weaker than you. Let me tell you how stupid you are. Does that sound like someone you want to take advice from? Can I tell you how wrong you are right now? Oh, yes, please. Oh, thank God. I've been waiting for you to come into my life. God sent you as a messenger? Yeah. I'm here to tell, like, it's like you're a prophet and you get up. People, listen to me about how wrong you are. I'll tell you all the ways to be right. Yet this is how the church of God approaches ministry. 
You fools. Who wants to listen? Like I said, I never want to forget what it was like to be lost. The faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever doubts is condemned if he eats. Bring, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Have your preferences, but it's always people of our preference. We have to be our brother's keeper. We have to love one another. And just because they're wrong, and I'm telling you, some of you are right. You don't have to boast in your rightness. Your job is to love your brother or your sister in Christ and bring them to maturity. And I'm just going to tell you, we won't have time to speak into people's lives if we aren't loving and kind and gracious in the way that we speak to our brothers and sisters. So have your opinions, have your preferences. That's okay. Don't make them rules. Don't make them rules. And so as we get ready to end this morning, there's really five ways to fight being judgmental. And these same five ways to fight being judgmental is the same way to help a judgmental person. See, because if you're in this room and you've met a judgmental person and you've dealt with a judgmental person and you've done all of these things, I'm telling you, like the reality is, is you're called to a higher standing to help them, help bring them to understanding. You know, I, I hear this a lot right now. I know we're in this whole like deconstruction thing. Um, we're, we're in this whole deal. Yeah, you, you understand why you believe what you believe, but you don't blow up the foundation to rebuild a house. There's a foundation. So yes, deconstruct. But if like you don't have Jesus in your Christianity, that's not Jesus. That's not Christianity. I'm just telling you. And so what happens here in this moment is, is you and I have your opinions, have all of these things, but we're here to help one another grow towards maturity. And so here's the first thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Hey, is this like salvific, God-like specific, or is this going to change everything if they don't believe this? If you say, hey, there's more than one way to heaven than Jesus, then you got to deal with Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Definitive articles, the way, the truth, the life. And I'm just going to tell you, truth by definition is exclusive. So you don't have to argue with me. You need to argue with Jesus in the Bible. There's no secret Greek there. There's not like a subtext that's like in anything else. Find your own way. I don't know about you, but I want to be known for who I am, not who people think I am. Why would we approach God the same way? I don't know. Anyway. Number two, seek understanding. Just exactly like I needed to do with Dr. Town. Seek to know who the person is. Seek to understand why they're going through what they're going through. And you may find that there's very good reason for some of the weird things that they believe. Humility. We're all probably somewhere wrong in our theology. Me included. I have preferences. I have thoughts. I have ideas. There's some things that are gray areas that I'm trying to understand. I'm studying just like you. But I have my opinions for sure. But they're not hills I'm going to die on. And so just remember, you're not always right. Instead of judge, teach and disciple. That's the call of the church of God. Our, our job is not to judge. Our job is to teach and disciple. Even when people are wrong on Jesus and wrong on the Trinity and wrong on these things, we still teach and disciple. That's the call. In a loving way. You catch more flies with honey than you do vinegar. Right? And you're like, that's not in the Bible. Okay, a kind word turns away wrath. 
instead of judge, look at it as an opportunity to teach. And not teaching doesn't start with this. Let me tell you all the ways that you're wrong. When you come in here for the big group, small group, in two Wednesdays from now, I'm not going to start the class by saying, hey, let me just tell you all the ways that you're wrong. Let's start. Who's excited? <laughs> Be tolerant. Actually love people for their differences. Actually love people for their differences. There is no qualifier on how we are to love the world or who we are to love in the world. Jesus says, you want to know what everything boils down to? You want to keep it really simple? Love God, love people. And there's no qualifiers in there. So even the people who are dead wrong, we're called to love them. And so the way that you and I move and do things, judging is assuming something that there just can't be fruit for. Okay, if someone punches me in the face, I'm like, you're angry. There's evidence. Like, it's not a judgment. I didn't look at you and go, you're an angry person. You punch me in the face, you're angry. I don't know many people who are happy that punch people in the face. I'm like, I'm so happy. Boom. What? What just happened? And so church, this is the call, and it's a high call. It's opposite of the way we are in the flesh. The world wants to divide you all of the time. Because why? We are most dangerous when we are united with Christ and united with one another. And it's time for the church of God to get to the business of God. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. And let's have conversations and differences of opinions and all of those things. Absolutely. Let's spur each other on in our faith. But let's not lose the mission of God over something that really doesn't matter at the end of the day. And so today, we are going to celebrate unity through one thing. We are going to celebrate communion today. Danielle's going to begin to hand out, I think, with Christian communion. And we are going to celebrate the fact that you and I are all purchased with one price. Every person in this room, no matter what you've done, where you've been, how bad it got, you can be purchased by the blood of Christ. You were worth dying for. You were worth creating, and God doesn't create junk. And even though the world's told you that you are, you're not. That's a lie. And so today, as one church and one body, let us remember not only what Christ did for us individually, but what he did for all of us, that we are all united in the blood of Jesus Christ. We are one church and one body. And so uh, I want to talk through communion as the elements are being passed around. Communion is this really incredible thing. There's two things that Jesus told us to celebrate when he left this earth. The Lord's Supper, which is communion, and baptism. And so today, we're choosing to be faithful to what has happened. We're remembering. Baptism's the confession. Communion's the remembrance. And so today, what we do is we, we partake of the, um, the juice or the wine or whatever in the, in the bread to remember what happened at the Lord's Supper. And let me tell you what happened. While Jesus was there... He brought all of his disciples together. And when he brought all of his disciples together, he was celebrating his last meal. And, I, you know, none of us know what we're going to do on the last day of our life. And Jesus did. And he chose to spend it with the people he loved most. Hey, Danielle, can I get one of those, please? Um, he chose to spend it with the people he loved most and just spend a meal to talk about the most important thing that he was. And so Jesus took the elements and, and he began to talk about them. And he said that the bread was his body. And his body was broken for the wrath of sin. 
the judgment of sin. And his blood was spilt and shed for the forgiveness of it. So his body's broken for the penalty. His blood is shed for the forgiveness. And when we take these things, we remember what Jesus did for us. But there's this really important moment that Paul warns us about. Paul says, look, you need to take this in a worthy manner. This is a big deal. There's two things that Jesus said to do. So let's honor this moment above all else. And he says, the way that you honor this moment is to make sure that there's nothing between you and God that's dividing you. Because this is what united us. And so let's make sure, just as we get ready to partake communion, that there's nothing between you and God. Whether sin that, that you know about or sin that is unconfessed, now is the time to do business with God, to confess those things. And yes, you are already forgiven in Jesus Christ, but God even says, confess your sins and you'll be healed. Just confess it right now. And so I want to just give us all just a few minutes to, to take a moment before the Lord to just spend time with him before we take this moment. So please, just take a moment with God. Take of it and you drink of it. Remember what I have done for you. And so you may partake of the wine. Church, we are one people, one price, one Jesus, one blood. Let's get back to the work of loving one another, being there for one another. So we have this really incredible opportunity to do that today.